listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. What a blessing it is to have the Word of God in our own language. And so I'm very thankful that you can join us again for this episode of Let the Bible Speak. It is our delight to study the Word of God together, and I trust it is a blessing to your heart today. We've been looking at Paul's first letter to Timothy over the past several months. We're in the last chapter, and let me read to you just two verses, verses 11 and 12 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. The Word of God says, But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Amen. May God bless his word to your hearts. Let's bow together in prayer and ask for his help again as we come to study the word of the living God. Eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank you for the instruction that we have from Christ through his apostle Paul. We pray you'd help us to consider it carefully and that we'd seek to put the word of God into practice in our lives. And I pray for all who are listening to this program that the word of God would indeed find a resting place in their hearts for their good and for your glory, as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we've been giving some consideration to the four imperatives that are found in verses 11 and 12. An imperative, a command, a command that comes from Paul to Timothy, and ultimately a command that comes to all of us. Timothy was to serve as an example to the flock. And so as Paul instructs Timothy, so we then are to follow Timothy's example. And so if Paul tells Timothy to flee and to follow and to fight and to lay hold of, then so we must take these as imperatives in our own Christian living. I sought last time to emphasize a crucial matter in our understanding of Christian living. We are responsible to be vigorously active in the area of our sanctification. Salvation is all of grace, it's all of God. We believe that with all of our souls. And yet as God works in us, so we work out our own salvation. It is by God's grace that we labour, but we labour nonetheless. It is by God's grace that we put off the old man. But we put off the old man nonetheless. It is by God's grace that we put on likeness to Christ. But we ourselves put on likeness to Christ. There is activity in the area of Christian living. The activity that is indeed the responsibility of all those who are saved by grace. This activity does not earn salvation. Rather, this activity is simply a consequence of God's working in our lives by grace. We live as we are to live 
Because we are what we are by God's grace. We are no longer dead in our sins. We're alive in Christ Jesus. And as those who are alive, so therefore we live. We live not for ourselves, but for God. And if there are any doubts in your mind regarding the truth of this activity, the next of these commands should silence that doubt. Paul tells Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. This word is drawn from two areas of life in the Greek world of the time. It was used in the military area and it was used also in the athletic arena. Our English word agonize is derived from this word to fight. In a military sense, it is not military combat that is fought with drones or long-range missiles. Rather, it is the military combat that was hand-to-hand, mortal combat, a fight to the death. We can imagine the effort involved if our lives are at stake in such a combat. We would fight with every sinew of our being seeking to overcome the one that was seeking to take our lives. There would be tremendous exertion involved. In the realm of athletics, this word is used with regards to wrestling, where two men would wrestle with sweat and toil, and the end of that wrestling would be submission. The word used in several places in our New Testament, Christ takes the word in Luke chapter 13 and exhorts his hearers to strive to enter in at the straight gate, to give every effort to exert themselves to get into the kingdom. Paul uses it regarding himself when he speaks of his labor, striving according to his working, that is, God's working in him. But as he labors, he strives. Again, it denotes exertion and effort, sweat and toil. Paul also uses it in Colossians chapter 4 as he reflects upon Epaphras' labor and how Epaphras labors fervently for those believers in prayers. He strives, he labors fervently. That's the word that we have here for fight in 1 Timothy chapter 6. So Paul is telling Timothy to fight. Note this is a good fight. Fight the good fight of faith. It is a morally excellent combat. Oh, we certainly discourage our children from fighting, but this is an activity that we should all be involved in. It is good in that it is for a good cause. It is for the honour and glory of God. It is for the good cause of our own salvation. Furthermore, it is described as a fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. That is the area that we must give consideration to. How do we understand these words? Well, there are various ways in which these words can be understood. The fight that we fight is a fight that comes due to our faith. As a result of our faith, as we trust in Christ, so then warfare results. We have a warfare against the world, the flesh and the devil as those who have come to trust in Christ. Furthermore, it is a fight for the faith. It is a fight to hold on to truth. It's also a fight to hold on to our own faith. A fight that battles unbelief. It's a fight fought by faith. All of our lives are to be lived relying on God. And so therefore this fight of faith is a fight that is fought 
as we rely entirely upon the Lord. Now, oftentimes when we look at this matter of faith in the New Testament, we consider this matter in terms of faith that is either objective or subjective. Subjective faith is what we do, we believe. Objective faith is a fight for the faith, the truth. Paul has told Timothy several times in this letter of the importance of the faith. Even in chapter 6 and verse 10, he's described those who have erred from the faith. Chapter 4, he talks about others who depart from the faith. In verse number 6 of chapter 4, he says, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine. Whereunto thou hast attained. And so there is certainly a fight for the faith. As a man of God, Timothy must strain every part of his being to fight for faith and for truth. The definite article, the, is used here in the original like it is in Jude 3. In Jude verse 3, we are told to earnestly contend for the faith. Now, of course, every child of God must fight for truth. They must fight for those things which cannot be laid aside. We must fight for the truth of the Bible, the Bible that is the inerrant word of God, the Bible that is that infallible authority for every matter of faith and practice. We must fight for the truth of God, that God is absolutely holy and that he has the right to judge all mankind. We've got to fight for that truth in a day when people would have a very superficial view of God as a God who is lenient against sin that does not punish the wrongdoer. In that regard, we must fight for the very definition of sin. The sin is transgression against the law. Sin is not a matter of human weakness or social inconvenience. Sin is rebellion against the very God of heaven. Sin is transgression against the holy law of God revealed in his word. We must fight for the truth regarding the nature of who Christ is, that Jesus Christ is not a mere man or a good man. He is God manifest in the flesh. He is the eternal son of the eternal God, co-eternal and co-equal with the Father. He is God in flesh, and as he is God in flesh, so he is true man, possessing a true human body and a reasonable human soul. We've got to fight for these things in light of the multiplicity of heresies that are around regarding the person of Christ Jesus. We've got to fight for the truth of the atonement, that Christ died as a substitutionary atonement, that his death was that of penal substitution. He paid the price of sin. He bore the penalty of the lawbreaker as he died on our behalf. And so there is a fight, a good fight for the faith. And yet, here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, whilst not discounting that matter, I believe the main issue here is a battle in the heart of the child of God to hold on to faith. The faith with which he lays hold on Christ and salvation. I think the emphasis here is on the matter of subjective personal faith. Now, I understand that there will be those 
who may take this differently and see this verse in a different way. And if you are to see it emphasizing the battle for the truth, well, then I would not fall out with you. But yet when you look at the context here, well, the context is of Paul bringing exhortations to Timothy in the personal sphere. He is to flee sin. He's to follow after righteousness. He's to lay hold on eternal life. It's describing Timothy in his personal life. Yes, as a man of God, but as a man of God who personally has to walk with God. Of course, when Paul tells Timothy to fight the good fight of faith, those who know the word of God will think of Paul's own testimony in the second letter he writes to Timothy, where he says there, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Clearly there, Paul is describing a fight in view again, a good fight. It is a direct parallel with his command to Timothy in the first letter. The word to keep, keep the faith, is a word that speaks of guarding. It's used that way regarding Paul himself in custody in Acts chapter 25. He was kept, he was guarded. It's also used regarding holding on to or persevering or preserving in John chapter 12. It's used for obedience in John chapter 14. It's also used regarding holding fast. Christ tells the church in Revelation chapter 3, Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast. And it is this sense of Paul holding fast to faith. And I think as Paul is reflecting on his life's journey, I think it is best to see him as holding on to his faith in Christ Jesus. He came to believe in Christ and he did not let Christ go. Thus I do think we see a picture emerging from this text of the conflict that a true Christian faces. I wonder, does this touch your heart today? As you hear the words of God, fight the good fight of faith, do you feel that within your own soul? Do you feel that indeed you are engaged in a conflict? You're engaged in a battle that you struggle to keep on believing. You you struggle to keep on holding on to Christ. Well, in the conflict, we must be aggressive. We must be fully engaged. It is this mortal combat. The opponents we face are fierce and they're trying to take away our faith. Hence, when Paul tells Timothy to fight the good fight, he's telling him to fight everything that would lead to unbelief. And that's what I want to reflect upon for the next 10 minutes or so. What is it that would cause us to lack faith in God? What does unbelief look like in the Word of God? If we can understand what unbelief is, well then we'll be helped in understanding what the fight is. What are we fighting against? If we're to fight the good fight of faith, well, in what does this fight consist? Well, it consists of battling against doubting God. Unbelief is, in its essence, doubting of God. It is doubting God's attributes. And let me highlight four areas, four attributes, four features of God that are under attack when it comes to the matter of faith and it comes to the issue of unbelief. First of all, unbelief is doubting God's truthfulness. 
the unbeliever doubts the testimony of God, the reliability of God, his truthfulness as to his words. I think of what happened after Christ rose again. And in Mark chapter 16, he appears unto the eleven as they sat at meat, and he upbraids them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. The disciples are struggling to believe. They're struggling to believe what they hear regarding Christ as having risen from the grave. And yet Christ had said that would it be so. Christ had said that he would indeed rise again from the grave the third day. And so as the disciples, as they do not believe what they hear, so they are doubting God's word. And Christ calls that unbelief. Unbelief is doubting God's word. That's what the devil brought by way of temptation to Eve. Hath God said? And so we must fight. We must fight this unbelief. There were those in the wilderness and they're described in Hebrews chapter 4 and they're described in terms of their unbelief. They did not enter in because of unbelief. The warning is that we might fall after the same example of unbelief. You can see that in Hebrews 4 verses 6 and 11. And as the writer of Hebrews describes this unbelief, he tells them, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. And so unbelief is the refusal to believe the word of God as being true. And if we're to fight the good fight of faith, we must fight that tendency to doubt God's word. That God is not true in all that he says. We may doubt it regarding the nature of the promises of God for salvation. God has said that if we call upon him, he will save us. That if we confess our sins, he is just, he is faithful to forgive us our sins. And we may doubt that. That's unbelief. We may doubt the truthfulness of God's word. We we confess our sins, we put our trust in Christ, and yet we, we do not believe that what God has promised is true. And we presume that we are still in the depth of our sins. So we must fight against unbelief, that unbelief that is a questioning of God's truthfulness. In a connected sense, we must fight against the unbelief that questions God's faithfulness. Romans chapter 4 verse 20 tells us that Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Abraham had the promise of a seed. He had the promise of a son and yet that promise was a long time coming and it would be understandable for Abraham to have doubted God's ability to keep his word. Will God do what he said? Surely I am of such an age now that I, I will not have the seed. So Abraham could well have thought, but he staggered not. He did not succumb to unbelief and so we must follow Abraham's example and not doubt God's faithfulness. We must be determined that God will do as he has promised to do. And that we will indeed see the promise of God fulfilled in his grace and in his purposes. We've got to fight here. We've got to believe that when Christ says he will return, that he will indeed come again. And as he comes again, he will make all things new and he will save 
to the uttermost all that come unto God by him. So fight this battle, fight this battle uh, against unbelief in your own soul. We've got to fight against unbelief as to God's wisdom and goodness. Hebrews chapter 3 tells us about those in the wilderness again who in the day of temptation hardened their hearts. And again, that's described as being an evil heart of unbelief. You see, in our trials we might doubt the wisdom of God. As we walk in the paths of obedience and trials come, we may question God's goodness. Such is again a manifestation of unbelief. That even though we walk through trials, yet God is still good, God is still faithful. God is reliable in all of his ways and we must fight the tendency toward unbelief in these things. We've got to fight unbelief in terms of God's availability. We can become unbelievers as we are self-reliant. There's a story told in the Gospels of a father who brings his son to the disciples and they could not cast the demon out of the son. And they asked the Lord, why could not we cast him out? Matthew chapter 17, verse 19. And the Lord tells them, because of your unbelief, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. And so the disciples in unbelief had left aside praying and fasting and holding on to God. No prayer and fasting was a demonstration of unbelief. It was a demonstration of self-reliance. A demonstration that they could do without God. That they could make do in their own strength without the Lord. We've got to battle unbelief in that form. We've got to fight against that. And as we fight against that, we've got to determine in our souls to lay hold upon God in the place of prayer and fasting. And so unbelief shows itself in these ways. It's a doubting of God. And we must then fight anything that would lead to these doubts. And we live in a world when we are bombarded with enemies from multiple sides. Enemies that would cause us to succumb to doubt and unbelief. You think of the preponderance of evolutionary teaching. That creation, the creation narrative in the Bible is false and not true. Therefore God's word cannot be relied upon. When God says something is a fact of history, well perhaps that's not true. And what happens? Doubt comes in and there is unbelief. We, we must fight against this in our souls. We must fight against the liberal agenda in uh, the liberal church where there are no miracles, that all the miracles are simple parables. God is not able to break into the world. We, we've got to fight against that. that God is the miracle-working God, and we see his power and his glory as he breaks into the world, particularly in the person of Jesus Christ. There are those, again, who must fight unbelief in terms of the realm of secular counselling, whereas people are counselled, they're encouraged in their trials to leave out a reflection of God's sovereignty. Surely if God is sovereign, he cannot be wise and kind and allow you to go through this trial. But we understand the Bible shows us that God is sovereign even over our trials. And therefore, we must lay hold upon God. We must fight unbelief in these things. 
Indeed, uh, the entire society is marked by secularism and by materialism that essentially says there is no God. And we are surrounded by doubts on every side. You see, today, society want us to reject the word of God. They want abortion to be available on demand. They want same-sex marriage to be allowed. And they, they would press upon us that the law of the church should be brought into line with the law of the land. Now, we've got to stand upon the word of God that when the law of the land goes against the law of God, that we will obey God and not man. We cannot doubt the wisdom of God in his word. God has spoken. He has spoken wisely, and all of his commands are good and for our good. And so we must fight in all of these areas to hold on to our faith in Christ, to hold on to our faith in the efficacy of Christ's atonement, in the faithfulness of God's word, that as he tells us Christ came to die for sinners, he tells us that Christ's death is indeed that which secures forgiveness from God. And we trust in Christ. We run from our sins and we lay hold upon him. And so therefore we trust the promise of God that as we believe in Christ, so we shall indeed be saved. And so, dear child of God, keep on believing. Keep on trusting in the word of God. Fight the good fight of faith. And if you're listening today and you have not yet come to Christ, I present to you a saviour who is presented in the word of God as being true. He is the way, the truth and the life. And if you're to get to heaven, if you're to know peace with God, you must come by faith. You must trust in Christ. And as you come to trust in Christ, so then you will fight the good fight of faith. And you will know the blessing of life and everlasting life in Christ and in Christ alone. I'm so thankful that you can listen uh, to the word of God on this broadcast. I trust it will be a benefit to all of your souls. And if I can help you, and point you to Christ and encourage you in the paths of righteousness, well then, please get in touch. Please drop us an email. The address is uh, again at the end of this broadcast. And may God indeed bless his word to all of our hearts and encourage us as we walk for God in this world in these days. And we ask the Lord to bless this broadcast for the well-being of his people and the glory of his name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.